It's incredibly honoring when you get an invitation to come and speak someplace, but then it's really honoring when you get to uh, invited to come back and speak someplace. And so it's good to be back at Desperation. Uh, how many were here two years ago? Yeah, welcome uh, back to those of you who are here and uh, a joy to be with some of you for the first time and honor to uh, share the stage today and teach with David and Chris, a couple of guys that I have such tremendous respect for. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Can I just be honest with you? I'm sitting back here worshiping tonight, and I'm blown away because when I was your age, I don't think I was seeking the Lord with the same kind of intensity. And so there's a part of me that tonight just begins to think, oh God, how are you going to use this generation? I think I have a word from the Lord for us tonight out of Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to turn there in just a moment. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me for just a moment. Go ahead and stand up. Uh, The Quakers had a wonderful way of of praying with their body posture, uh, with their hands face down, symbolizing things that they needed to let go of, burdens that maybe they were carrying or maybe sin that was uh, unconfessed. They would just kind of say, God, I let go. And then they would turn their hands over and in this posture of receptivity, say, God, I want everything you have for me. And I wonder if tonight we could pray that way. I I bet some of us walked into, and there's still some things that we need to let go of. And uh, I believe that God has some gifts and callings and anointings and blessings and miracles that he wants to do in our lives. And if we would just posture ourselves for that, he's going to do it. So let me lead us in prayer. If you feel comfortable with your hands face down. Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you that our sins are nailed to the cross and we let go of any guilt or shame or condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, the burdens we carry, we weren't designed to do it. Your word says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you and so God, we let go of those burdens. God, those problems that we can't solve, those burdens that we can't carry by ourselves. Lord, we let go of the anxieties that we feel about tomorrow. God, we let go of relationships. We let go of situations that we can't control. And God, right now we turn our hands over and we are ready to receive from you We invite your Holy Spirit to come and invade our hearts in a new way tonight. God, I pray that we would walk out of here changed. That, Lord, your Spirit would speak one word. God, I pray for one word from the Lord that would take root and bear fruit in our spirits tonight. We offer our minds, we offer However much or however little energy we have left tonight to you, God, we we offer these few moments to you. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Joshua chapter 3. 
and verse number five. For 400 years, the Israelites were enslaved. Man by the name of Moses led them out of captivity. But a generation failed to claim the promise that God had given them. But God raised up another generation. You know what? Moses gets all the headlines, doesn't he? And God used him in a powerful way. But how many of you know it wasn't Moses that led the people into the promised land? It was the next generation. It's a man by the name of Joshua. Why do you think God used Joshua? Well, I think it's because of Exodus 33. It says that when Moses went out to the tent of meeting, that there was a young aide, an intern, who would stand by the tent as Moses would seek God. And it says when Moses left, that Joshua would stay there in the presence of God. Can I just tell you tonight, who is the Lord going to use the most? It's going to be the person that spends the most time in his presence. Why? Because that's who God can trust the most. And so God raises up a man by the name of Joshua. A generation had failed, but here they are again on the banks of the Jordan River. Now here's what's beautiful about this. You know what I love about this? God is the God of second chances, isn't he? Man, you can blow it once, but... God's going to bring that opportunity back around. And so here they are at the Jordan River again, where 40 years before a generation had failed to claim the promise, God said, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And this is what the Lord says. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. God wants to do amazing things. But that's his job. How many of you want God to do something amazing? We all want to see God move in amazing ways. But then we try to do God's job for him. And we're not very good at God's job. Here's a thought. What if we let God do his job and we did our job? Because if we did our job, I think God would do his job. And God does a really good job at his job. What's his job? Amazing things. What are you talking about? Well, why don't we start in Genesis 1? Four words, let there be light. And a minute later, that light was 11 million miles away. 
Why? Because it was traveling 186,000 miles per second. And in its wake was creation. One minute of creation. 11 million miles of mountains and oceans and planets and stars and galaxies. And guess what? Those four words are still traveling at 186,000 miles per second. According to the Doppler effect, galaxies are still being created at the very edge of the universe. What I'm saying is that those four words are still creating galaxies 15.5 billion light years away. And so if God can do that with four words, what's your big problem? What's your big dream? Can we get a little perspective tonight? Right now, it feels like you're sitting still, but you're not. The truth is you're on a planet that's spinning at a thousand miles per hour. Isn't that incredible? It'll make one full rotation in the next 24 hours. Now, not only that, we're traveling 67,000 miles per hour through space. So the next day that you feel like you didn't accomplish a whole lot, I mean, you can remind yourself that you did travel 1.5 million miles through space today. Now, how many of you have ever gotten down on your knees at the end of the day, said, God, thank you for keeping us in orbit. God, I wasn't sure if we were going to make the full rotation, but you did it again. We don't pray that way. Why? Because God's so good at what God does. We hardly even notice it. Now you tell me, what's tougher? God keeping the planets in orbit or God ordering your footsteps? Or God making sure you get to the right place at the right time. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen, don't worry about meeting the right people. You meet with God. And God will make sure you meet the right people. Don't seek opportunity. You seek God and opportunity will seek you. Man, God is amazing. God does what God does. God is good at God's job. A.W. Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is a solution to 10,000 temporal problems. So our only problem tonight is our small view of our amazing God. Amen? So that's God's job. What's our job? Well, if you want to see God do amazing things tomorrow then you better consecrate yourself today. Man, I love desperation. I love desperation. I love the name. I love the concept. I love the word. I love those four values, and one of them is consecration. The Lord says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What does that mean? What does it mean to consecrate yourself to God? Well, I mean... There's a lot of definitions to be set apart. I think it means to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Um, lots of big theological fancy words like sanctification where you are conformed to the image of Christ. Let me paint a little bit of a picture tonight because I believe God wants to use you in a powerful way. God wants to do amazing things in your life, but you have to consecrate yourself to God. hundred years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. His real name was Rodney, but he was born in a gypsy camp. And so Gypsy was his nickname powerfully used of God. In fact, crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preached to millions of people. Uh, never preached without someone surrendering their life to the Lordship of Christ. This is a guy who never had a single day of formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. Grew up in a tent, but he was invited by two presidents to the White House. God used him incredibly in his generation. Well, one day, a delegation of revival seekers came to him and said, man, Gypsy, how can, how can God use us the way he's used you? Here's what Gypsy Smith said. He said, go home. He said, go home and lock yourself in your bedroom. Then take a piece of chalk. He said, draw a circle on the bedroom floor, and then kneel down in that circle. And then pray brokenly and fervently that God would send revival in that circle. It's not any more complicated than that, you guys. Listen, God wants to do amazing things. You know what? Someday. God's going to do things in you and through you. You are going to influence so many people's lives in so many different ways because of the unique giftings that God has placed on your life. But I can predict your future by your prayer life. I can predict who you're going to become and how God is going to use you by whether or not you get in that prayer circle and you consecrate yourself to God. Can I tell you tonight that prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. The best I can do is not good enough. I want the best God can do. When you hit your knees, the Holy Spirit begins to do the heavy lifting. God begins to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Your job is to consecrate yourself and to seek Him. When Moses died, something changed. Because an entire generation had related to God through Moses. Moses is the one who went up on the mountain for them. But when Moses died, they could no longer rely upon him to be their mediator. I think the word consecrated means unmediated. What do you mean by that? I mean, you can't live off of someone else's experience. Listen, Joshua, Joshua couldn't live off of Moses' experience. By the way, I think that's why the 
the commander of the Lord's army showed up just a couple of chapters later and said, Joshua, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Now, who else did God show up like that to? To Moses. So why, why would God show up to Joshua in the same way? Here's why. Because I think Joshua loved that story and Moses told it a thousand times. Joshua could have told the story for Moses, but whose story was it? That was Moses' story. You know what? At some point, you have to get your own story. Here is my concern. In, in our church culture, if you aren't careful, listen, you can let your pastor study the Bible for you. You can let the worship leader worship for you. You can even just let someone else pray in your place. Man, before you know it, you don't even have to do a thing because everything's being done for you. That's a dangerous place to be. I love the worship culture at this church, in this movement. Man, we've got some of the most incredible worship bands in the country that are here leading us in worship. And a lot of it's original music. And it's songs that have been written in a way that glorify the Lord. Here's one of my great concerns. What happens when a song is over? I think a lot of us, the only time we've ever worshiped God is when there are words on a screen. And when the words are off the screen, we don't even know what to do. We have a greeting card relationship with God. I, I have a wife and three kids. And can you imagine if the only way I ever expressed my love to my wife was giving her a greeting card. I mean, even if I picked out the best greeting card on the shelf, even the ones with the music, if I even picked out the ones that they, David, they even said it better that more poetically than I could ever express my love for my wife, do you think my wife would be down with that? Listen, at some point, like, I think my wife, like, Would you tell me in your own words how you feel about me? Listen, it's not enough to let someone else worship for us, sing a new song to the Lord. Listen, is that just for the people that are up here leading worship? That's all of us. Listen, God has called all of us to be priests and prophets and worship leaders and pastors. God has called all of us to be those things. We need to find our own voice. And it happens as we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves to the Lord for tomorrow he will do amazing things among you. And then Joshua gives him a curious instruction. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. What I want to share with you tonight is I believe a principle that could change the way that you relate to the Lord, the way that you live out your faith. And uh, I want you to just kind of hold on to this. Stand in the river. Stand. There are moments that you're going to need to stand in the river. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had no idea that that I would 
be in any kind of ministry, the thought of being a pastor would have been the furthest thing from my mind, never crossed my mind. And then one day I felt like the Lord prompted me to, in my speech class, essentially give a salvation message. I was scared to death. I was like, Lord, do you even want me to do this? Because I might get people unsaved. It's going to be that bad. Like, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a kid. I hardly know anything about the Bible. I, I might say something wrong. And I just felt like it was one of those moments. You ever had one of those moments where the Lord says, if you'll just take this little step of faith, I'm going to use it. Here's what happened. I gave that speech. I don't really know if it had any kind of effect on any of my classmates. But it did one thing. It let them know what I believed. And, and you know what? God's re- word does not return void. So I just trust that however the Lord was going to use that, he used it. But here's what happened. Somehow my mom got a copy of my speech. And she sent it to my grandma. And then my grandma was in a Bible study, a bunch of old people. I don't know why, but my grandma said to the Bible study leader, man, you need to read this speech that my grandson gave. And his Bible study re- re- uh, leader read it, and he came back the, the very next week, and he said to my grandma, has Mark ever thought about ministry? Then my grandmother Asked my mom, has Mark ever thought about ministry? And then my mom asked me. That was a very long story. I'll never forget when my mom asked me that question, relayed through a grandmother, relayed through a Bible study teacher, all because I gave a speech in a sophomore uh, class. And a seed was planted. And God began to do something in my heart. When I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Chicago. That point, still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I went to the best school that I could get into at the time. It was third-ranked university academically in the country behind Harvard and Yale. Uh, Produced more Nobel Prize winners than, than I think any school in the country and barely got in, barely. It didn't hurt that I played basketball. And so I was playing basketball. I was there on a full ride scholarship. To be honest, it was an incredible situation on paper. And then at the end of my freshman year, I asked God a dangerous question. What do you want me to do with my life? Now, the only thing more dangerous than asking God that question is not asking that question. So I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? In a switch flipped. This is so hard for me to describe, but I want you to dial in right now for the next couple of minutes. Hear what I'm about to say. I think for 19 years, if you had said, Mark, like, were you following Jesus? I would have said, yes. 
But the reality of the situation was that I had invited Jesus to follow me. That's a whole different deal. It's an inverted relationship with God. I I didn't want to go anywhere that Jesus didn't go with me. Like when I got onto the basketball court, God helped me. You know, help me make this shot. When I was in the classroom, God, I want you to come with me. I, I need the gift of, uh, of knowledge and wisdom and revelation. And so I wanted, I invited Jesus to go everywhere I went. But the truth is, I wasn't really following him. There's a big difference between inviting Jesus to follow you and you inviting, and Jesus inviting you to follow him. When I was 19, when I asked that question, I think it was the beginning of a, of a journey for me. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to ask God to serve my purposes. I'm going to serve his purposes. You know why so many of us are so bored with our Christian life? Because we just ask Jesus to follow us around in our monotonous life. But if you ever make the decision to say, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, it changes the game. And all of a sudden, you're living the adventure that God destined you to live. And so for four months, I sought God like never before. I read everything I could get my hands on. Man, I was in the Word like nobody's business. I was up early praying. I was seeking God. I was desperate. I said, God, I need to know what you want me to do. Last week of summer vacation. Last day of vacation, before the sophomore uh, year began in college, I got up early. We're on vacation, Alexandria, Minnesota, a lake, dirt roads. I got up early. I went out on a long prayer walk. About 45 minutes into it, I made a shortcut through a cow pasture. And in the middle of that cow pasture, I heard what I would describe as the inaudible yet unmistakable voice of God. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I was called to full-time ministry. Now, I had no idea when or where or how. I had nothing. But, but here's what I've learned. God rarely reveals two steps. He usually reveals one step. And if you don't take the first step, you'll never know what the second step would have been. You've got to obey the revelation that God has given to you. And if you take the first step, then God will reveal the second step. I had no idea what the second step would be, but I knew what the first step had to be. I knew that God wanted me to give up that full ride scholarship at the University of Chicago and transfer to a little Bible college to pursue full-time ministry. You want to know what everybody in my life said? And these were good people, godly people, people that wanted the best for me. They said, Mark, that's crazy. Why would you give up a full-ride scholarship at a school like that when you could just graduate and then go to seminary? But you know what? God didn't call me three years from then. He called me right here, right now. And I wonder if I hadn't stepped out in faith if that hadn't gone away. See, when God speaks, you need to respond 
to it. When God says go and stand in the river, you need to go stand in the river. I remember walking into the guidance counselor's office at the University of Chicago and I said, uh, I'm going to transfer. They said, where? And uh, I don't know. Maybe they were expecting like some Ivy League school or something. Well, I said Central Bible College. It didn't really register <laughs> where that was. Now, here's the funny thing. My, my, many of my credits didn't even transfer to Central Bible College. And you know what? I knew I'd have to pay for my education. But I knew if I didn't obey the Lord in that moment that I might forfeit some opportunity down the road. See, there's a moment in all of our lives when God is going to call us to step into the river. Now, when I read this story, here's a thought. Because if I'm writing it, I write it totally different. See, God says, I want the priest to go and stand in the river, then I'm going to part the river, and then you're going to walk through on dry ground into the promised land. But that's not how I want to do it. See, what I want is I want God to part the river, then I'll step in because then I don't have to get my feet wet. See, I want God to go first. I want God to move without me having to make a move. Why? Because then it doesn't require any faith at all. See, what I really want is I want signs preceding The last two words of Mark's gospel are signs following. What you'll find is it's not until you take a step of faith that God will then part those rivers and begin to move on your behalf. You know what? It wasn't real glorious those few years at Central Bible College. I just preached every opportunity I got a chance to. Every youth group that let me preach, I was there. Um, I'd preach at homeless shelters. Um, I was like the John Wesley of the nursing home circuit. Yeah, I preached so many messages on heaven. Just seemed like the most relevant subject. But I determined that I was going to step into the river and I was going to be faithful to the calling that God had put on my life. And here's the deal. You take one step towards God, and God's going to take a step towards you. But let me ask you, whose steps are bigger? See, you make one small step towards God. You make one little move, and God's going to begin to move on your behalf. But sometimes you have to go first. When our church was just getting started, uh, I learned this lesson in a new way. Uh, About nine months in, I was leading worship. I can't sing. And I have no rhythm at all. We didn't have a drummer. For months, we prayed, God, send us a drummer, send us a drummer, send us a drummer. And at some point, I think the Lord got tired of hearing that same prayer over and over and over again. And so there was this moment that I felt like the Lord said, why don't you quit asking me to send you a drummer? Why don't you go ahead and go get a drum set? Now here's the deal, you heard on the video, our income was $2,000 a month, $1,600 went to rent the D.C. public school, leaving $400 for our salary and all other expenses. And so this was pre-Google. I had to go through this thing called a newspaper. 
The thing's called Want Ads. And I found a drum set, a used drum set up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I remember thinking, God, this is crazy. Are you sure? God, could you just send us the drummer? This isn't even good stewardship. This is a poor financial decision. And God kept saying, no, you go out and get the drum set. I'll send you a drummer. I remember that Thursday driving up. And uh, anybody want to guess how much it cost? Yeah, 400 bucks. God's good at what God does. I'm going to test every ounce of your faith. I remember buying that drum set. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is crazy. What am I doing? We don't even have a drummer. Why would I buy a drum set? It was a Thursday. That's Sunday. Listen, God doesn't always move this quickly. I can't promise you. But that Sunday, our first drummer walked in. Stationed at the Marine Corps barracks, part of the Drum and Bugle Corps that just happens to occasionally play for the president. God didn't just send us a drummer, he sent us a rock star. And I learned a lesson. Sometimes you, you, sometimes you need to take that step of faith. You need to take a $400 step of faith. Are you with me? Sometimes you need to take a $400 step of faith. Man, you're, you're praying about that missions trip, man, should I go on that or not? Now, well, I'm going to wait and see if every penny comes in. Well, then maybe I'll go. Listen, I'm not trying to play God. I'm not telling you what fleece to lay down. I'm, I want to be very careful right here. But you know what? Sometimes you need to step out in faith and then see God move. And if you would step into the river, you would see God part that river. Oh man, I can't do a gap year. Like I'm going to be a year behind. I need to, man, I need to get about my education. I, I, I don't have the, I need to make some money. I can't do that full time. Well, listen, if you would step into the river, you might see God part the waters. It was a few months after that that I felt like the Lord impressed upon us to start giving to missions. Now, again, we weren't even a self-supporting church. In fact, I got a little argument with God. You ever get in an argument with God? I was like, Lord, I think you misspoke. Because I think we're the missionaries. We're the ones that need the support. I think that what you meant to say was say that to someone else about us. Lord, Lord was like, no, I know exactly who I'm talking to and I know exactly what I want you to do. Maybe if you would give more, you would have more. I'll never forget it. I mean, you, I felt like our church could die at any given moment. Only 25 people would know the difference and all of them could find a better church. I remember thinking, God, I... How can we even do this? This isn't even good stewardship. But here's what I've learned. If you get into an argument with God and you win that argument, you lose. If you get into an argument with God and God wins uh, that argument and you lose that argument, you're going to win as a result. I remember writing a $50 check to our first missionary. You had to about pry that thing out of my hands. Like, this is crazy. It was one of the hardest checks I've ever written. But you know what? 
Next month, giving went to $6,000, tripled in income for no apparent reason whatsoever other than Luke 6, 38. Giving will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured in your lap for with the measure you use, it'll be measured unto you. Can I just speak into your life right now? The Lord's blessed my wife and I. Pastor a church, write some books. I love to give. We have four family values. Courage, gratitude, humility, and generosity. Our goal is to give a greater percentage of our income back to God every year. That started with the tithe. We made a decision that we'd never not give 10% of our income back to God. Then went to 20. And every year we try to increase. And and the day's going to come that we live 90-10. The day's going to come that we're given 90% of what the Lord entrusts us with. We're living off of 10%. And we have the joy and privilege giving a lot more than I ever thought we would. Do you want to know how it started? I was your age and I made my first first faith promise. I started giving to missions. Wasn't much. But back then, man, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I'm like, God, this is crazy. You know, I think I, back then I was like making like $4.15 an hour, you know, something like that. Like, I'm going to have to work forever at the gas station I was working. I'm going to have to pump a lot of gas to pay this faith promise. But, but even then, I said, I'm going to step into the river. I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to provide. Do you know that we as a church, last year, a church of 70% single 20-somethings gave $1,384,000 to missions, and we're just getting started. But started with a $50 check. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. We want God to do amazing things. And he wants to do amazing things. And he will do amazing things. But we have to consecrate ourselves. Now we have to get down in that circle and pray and seek God's face. And then we got to get up and we got to step into the river. You got to take a step of faith. And if you take a step of faith, you're going to see God move with power. To close with this, a month ago, I got a phone call from a congressman. That doesn't happen every day. He said, I want to meet with you. I said, all right, I wasn't sure why, but he said, I want to come over to your coffee house. We own and operate a coffee house on Capitol Hill. Pretty sweet deal. Uh, for starters, having an office right above a coffee house. And then we give every penny of profit to missions. About 600 customers a day. So we're rubbing shoulders with people in our Capitol Hill community and find a lot of people come in to get a cup of coffee and get a lot more than that um, and find a church and find Christ. So he said, I want to come over and meet with you. And we sat down in my office. And he began to tell me a story. Five years ago, he was directing one of the largest Christian camps in the country, preaching on the weekend, living the dream, doing exactly what he felt like God had called him to do. When the Holy Spirit one day said, get ready. Now, he said, honestly, when the Holy Spirit said that, it was like, could you give me a little bit more to go on than that? 
But he said for months, it was like the Holy Spirit said, get ready, get ready, get ready. And then one day, he was just reading through the newspaper like he would do every morning. And he came across a little article about the congresswoman that represented his district. And it was rumored that she would run for governor, which would leave an empty seat. And the Holy Spirit said, this is it. He said, this is what? Holy Spirit, this is it. This is what I've called you to. He didn't even know the boundaries of his congressional district. He had to go on the computer to research his district. And when he did, his wife walked in. She said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at county statistics. And she said, we're running for Congress, aren't we? They never talked about it, never thought about it. Here's the problem. There's no way he's going to win. No political connections, no money, no resources, no background. There is no way this guy is going to win. But that isn't what the Lord had called him to. He just called him to run. See, if you don't take the first step, you'll never know. He said in obedience to the Holy Spirit, he said, I decided to run for Congress. He said, I thought it was crazy. And uh, he said, it was right during that time that a friend of mine gave me a copy of your book, Wild Goose Chase. He said, I wanted to come over just to thank you for the book because he said, I thought I was crazy. And then I realized that the Holy Spirit's crazy. <laughs> so maybe crazy is normal and normal is crazy. He said, thank you, because I, I needed someone to kind of confirm that God was in this thing. Here's what happened. A couple of months before the election, the front runner dropped out of the race. This guy was elected to Congress. He's now serving his second term. Why? Because he stepped into the river. That's all. Hey, by the way, he just finished the circle maker. This is pretty cool. Every morning that Congress is in session, there's a member of Congress that's circling the fifth floor of his house office building, praying for his constituents, his colleagues, and our country. That's pretty cool, isn't it, you guys? Now here's where I stop talking. And you start listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you don't need to hear anything I have to say, but we need a word from the Lord. I wonder what God might be speaking to you tonight. He might be saying, get ready. Get ready, because I'm about to do something. You know what? How do you get ready? You consecrate yourself. And if you consecrate yourself to God, you can live with the holy anticipation because you never know when or how or where God is going to invade the reality of your life and change everything. Here's the challenge. You want God to do something new in your life? You can't keep doing the same old thing. If you want God to do something new in you, you might need to do something different. Can I just tell you? 
I'm hungry for more of God. We have a little mantra around our church. Stay humble, stay hungry. Man, I'm hungry to see God move. I believe that revival is on the way in our nation's capital. You know what? We're not praying ASAP, ASAP as soon as possible prayers. We're praying ALAT as long as it takes. We're going to get in our circle. We're going to pray and the day is going to come. It's not an if. It's only a question of when. Why? Because God always delivers on his promises. I promise you tonight, I don't care how old, how young you are. If tonight you would say, I'm going to consecrate myself to God in a new way. Is there some part of your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're here tonight and the reality is that you've invited Jesus to follow you. You need to start following him. Or maybe there's some decision you need to make, some situation that you need to step into that reverence. Here's my challenge. Get your feet wet. Step into it. Get your feet wet. Let your feet get wet. Step into that river. And if you do, you will see God part that river. Let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts. That we would hear your voice. That God... We would not walk out of this place not allowing your spirit to do in us what it is that needs to be done. And so God, I pray that the moments we spend at an altar tonight would alter our lives. That God, we would be able to look back on this moment as a moment when you did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. A moment when we made a tough decision. A moment when we decided that we would step out in faith. God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and meet us in this place right here, right now. Listen, with no fanfare whatsoever, without anybody else. Don't don't come up here because someone next to you comes up here. If tonight you feel like you just need to draw a circle. We don't have any chalk and we're not going to do that to the building. But you feel like you need to get in that circle tonight and say, God, I'm consecrating myself to you in a fresh way, in a new way. I want you to come. There's a lot of room up here. Just slip out of your chair right now. I want you to come up and around this altar. Some of us are going to gather and we're going to pray for you. I want you to come. The band's going to lead us in just a few moments. But here's the deal. I, I, I think it's okay if we start singing and worshiping. Here's what I don't want you to do tonight. Maybe tonight you just let, let the band lead us in worship. But, but you find your own words. You use your own words tonight. You know what? Maybe tonight God wants to give you a new gift. Maybe God wants to give you a new calling. I I don't know what that's going to be, but maybe if we talked a little bit less and listened a little bit more, we might be able to hear his voice. Tonight, just close yourself in. 
get in that circle, pray brokenly and fervently, and let's see what the Lord's going to do in our midst. Let's seek God together.